to bring you this important message. Good evening, good afternoon, or good morning, whenever it may be, wherever you may be, and however you may be hearing my voice. Whether it be via download through one of the many podcast platforms, or if you are listening to the premiere on the Alternate Current Radio's live stream, I appreciate you tuning in and joining me as we attempt to navigate the shark-infested waters of the agenda-centivized media and look past the propaganda. This is your daily dose of what's currently all the ruckus. What in God's name is going on in here? What was that ruckus? Uh, What ruckus? I was just in my office and I heard a ruckus. Could you describe the ruckus, sir? Watch your tongue, young man. Watch it. Howdy, folks. A robotic car has just broken the world land speed record, according to the BBC. The Dallara AV21 race car was developed by a team called Polymove from the Politecnico de Milano, a university in Italy, and the University of Alabama in the United States. During a test drive at the launch and landing facility at NASA's Kennedy Space Center, the car clocked a whopping speed of 192.2 miles per hour. This meant the team smashed the previous land speed record of 175.49 miles per hour, held by RoboRace. The car is driverless. It is controlled by robotics and algorithms, programs which tell the car what to do. The Dallara AV21 race car was taking part in the latest Indy Autonomous Challenge, where teams from all over the world compete using the AV21 model car to see who can alter it to be faster. Professor Sergio Savaresi, head of the Politecnico di Milano, said, quote, We are thrilled with the world record, but we are also excited by the fact that this data will be made available to all, and the industry will benefit from our work and learnings, end quote. bbc.co.uk Um, exactly what the industry is that he's referring to, I'm not 100% sure, and I have no idea specifically who or what benefits from all this data, but I suspect the race to produce the fastest robotic vehicles on the planet is one that ultimately us pathetically slow humans will lose in the end. I mean, just look how the drone versus human game has been going. Not well for the humans, needless to say. And if you, dear listener, like me, already think high-speed driverless cars and unmanned aerial death machines being radically adopted at a breakneck pace poses a potential hazard to our health, well, spoiler alert, the following news stories won't make you feel any better about the whole thing. And worse than that, in my opinion, that's just the beginning of our fast-tracked technocracy troubles. You better fasten your seatbelts for this one, folks. You're listening to Alternate Current Radio. I'm Adam Clark, and this is The Daily Ruckus. Real quick, everyone, before we begin, I have a very special announcement exclusively for you. 
Yes, you. Because if you're hearing my voice, there's a slight chance you might be missing out on something. What you are listening to is the regular, standard version of today's episode of The Daily Ruckus. And there is a slightly enhanced version available for your listening enjoyment, which can only be found on the ACR's website. So if you'd rather check that one out, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com and click on the show post for this episode to learn how and where to listen to the special enhanced version. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in. Howdy, race fans. So, no super long intro today. I've got way too many stories to cover for this topical and timely discussion. But I promise, dear listener, I shall do my best to get us through them as fast as possible. But not too fast, of course. You know what they say, speed kills. Who knew that expression could apply to so many things? But more on that later. First things first. Now, I admit that I don't know how to perfectly set this one up, so I'm just going to come right out and say it. In case you missed it, hot off the heels of a wildly successful exercise in telling its citizens what they can and can't do during the pandemic season, the U.S. government is now prepared to not only tell its citizens how fast they can drive, they are making it physically impossible to disobey the rules. Starting with the truckers. As reported by the publication Government Technology, federal regulators are taking a new look at whether to require automatic systems that limit a truck's speed, one of the National Transportation Safety Board's most wanted safety improvements. The Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration's decision to look at speed limiting systems in trucks weighing more than 26,000 pounds came more than a decade after the agency and the National Highway Transportation Safety Administration first broached the issue in 2011. It took another five years, 2016, to announce that they were developing regulations, then nothing until now. Quote, they simply cannot do this fast enough, said Steve Owings, co-founder of the advocacy group Road Safe America, whose son Cullum was killed when a speeding truck slammed into his car stopped in traffic. Quote, there's absolutely no question that if speed limiters are required to be used at a reasonable top speed, it will save a lot of lives, end quote. The FMCSA said it was acting now because the U.S. Transportation Department's National Roadway Safety Strategy, quote, identified speed as a significant factor in fatal crashes and speed management as a primary tool to reduce serious injuries and fatalities, end quote. Initially, speed limiters had not been included when the strategy was rolled out in January in response to a huge uptick in highway fatalities despite a drop in traffic due to the the coronavirus pandemic. Deaths increased by an unprecedented 18.4% during the first six months of 2021 compared with 2020, according to federal statistics. That's after they rose 7% in 2020 from 2019, while vehicle miles traveled declined by 13% over the same period. Speeding-related fatalities alone rose 17% from 2019 to 2020, according to the Transportation Safety administration. NJ Advanced Media reported last year that the number of people killed in truck crashes continued to rise while federal
federal officials and Congress ignored proven safety solutions. Deaths and crashes involving large trucks rose 29% over a decade to 4,895 in 2020, from 3,781 in 2011. The National Transportation Safety Board first recommended speed limiters in 1995 and added it to its most wanted list of safety improvements in 2019. The Motor Carrier Administration did not propose a maximum speed for trucks, saying that would wait until the proposed rule was drafted sometime next year. The agency also said it would act on its own without the Highway Traffic Safety Administration. When the Motor Carrier Administration proposed the original rule in 2016, it attributed more than 10,000 deaths over a 10-year period to crashes where the speed of the truck, quote, likely contributed to the severity of the accident, end quote. That's 1,000 deaths per year. Quote, it's really tragic when you think about the lives lost since 2016 that would have been saved with the technology, said Peter Kurdock, general counsel for Advocates for Highway and Auto Safety, an alliance of consumer, health, law enforcement, and insurance industry groups. He called the announcement, quote, certainly a step in the right direction, end quote. Chris Spear, president and chief executive of the American Trucking Associations, welcomed what he called, quote, a constructive, data-driven approach to the issue of truck speed limiters. He said, quote, we look forward to working with the agency to shape a final rule that is consistent with our policy supporting the use of speed limiters in conjunction with numerous other safety technologies, end quote. Most heavy trucks already have the devices installed, though there are no standards for using them, nor requirements to turn them on. According to NHTSA, even back in 2016, speed limiters were in 77% of heavy trucks. Harry Adler, co-chair and principal of the Institute for Safer Trucking, another advocacy group, said, quote, we can think of no better or more readily available safety solution than setting already existing speed limiters in the largest vehicles on our roads, end quote. GovTech.com. Well now, folks, I don't know about you, but personally, I found more than just a few things in that article rather interesting, shall we say. First of all, admittedly, I had no idea that the National Transportation Safety Board was recommending speed limiters as early as 1995. Also, I find it kind of concerning, I guess, the fact that the Motor Carrier Administration said that it would, quote, act on its own without the Highway Traffic Safety Administration, end quote. Huh. And not only that, they literally have not chosen an actual maximum speed for trucks, saying that it would, quote, wait until the proposed rule was drafted, end quote. Which, of course, means that technically we have absolutely no idea how fast the trucks on our roads will be going in the very near future. But I have a sneaky suspicion it will be nowhere near even half as fast as the Delara AV21, as long as it's being driven by a human, of course, because that could always change. And perhaps that's a story for another day. But hey, speaking of having no idea how fast you're going, as reported by Penn Live, Tesla is recalling some 2018 to 2022 Model 3 performance vehicles because the speedometer may fail to display the unit of speed when the vehicle is in track mode. A vehicle traveling 55 miles per hour is traveling 88 in kilometers per hour, but the driver will only see the number, not the unit of measurement. Tesla said 48,184 vehicles are affected by the recall. According to Dr documents with the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Track mode, quote, is designed to increase vehicle driving performance 
on closed-circuit courses. The user interface on affected vehicles displays vehicle speed but not a unit of speed, end quote. Because of that issue, the risk of a collision is increased, but Tesla reported it is not aware of any crashes or injuries attributed to the defect. PenLive.com I think recalling that many vehicles is a bit of an overreaction on Tesla's part. Clearly, if more people were using the quote-unquote full self-driving modes included with the Tesla Model 3, does it truly matter? Especially on a closed course. If anybody, including the car, knows how fast it's going? I think not. But all kidding aside, if they're gonna go ahead and pull almost 50,000 vehicles in this recall, there may actually be some sort of there there. But as the article stated, Tesla reported it wasn't aware of any crashes or injuries attributed to this defect. Not that we could necessarily 100% trust them to come right out and be so forward and transparent with such information. And while Tesla may or may not be under-reporting on any crashes or injuries caused by their technological machinations, users on Twitter and the the Defense Ministry of Ukraine, but mostly users on Twitter, may or may not be over-reporting crashes and injuries being caused by a technological machination of an entirely different kind. As reported by MilitaryTimes.com on May 2nd, 2022, in what appears to be their latest exploit, Ukraine's armed drones destroyed two Russian patrol boats in the Black Sea just off Snake Island Monday morning, according to the country's defense ministry and videos of the strikes. Multiple videos of the attacks have been circulating on social media, including a version posted to the Ukraine Defense Ministry's verified accounts that includes timestamps and geographic coordinates on the drone's operating display. The island, where Ukrainian border guards were attacked by deck guns on Russian vessels at the war's onset, has been a symbol of Kyiv's resistance and willingness to fight since audio emerged of the island's garrison responding to a surrender demand by telling the Russian cruiser Moskva to quote-unquote go f*** itself. Ukrainian government sources initially stated that all 13 guards on the island were killed, but backtracked day Days later, after Russia said they had been taken prisoner. All 13 Ukrainian guards were eventually released in a prisoner exchange. In April, the cruiser Moskva was badly damaged by a Ukrainian anti-ship missile attack and later sank. In an English-language tweet, Ukrainian General Valery Zaluzny confirmed that a Bayraktar TB2 drone, quote, sent two Russian patrol boats to f*** themselves at dawn today, end quote. Military analyst Rob Lee described described the strike's targets as Russian Raptor-class fast attack boats. According to an Army Training and Doctrine command site, the Raptor-class has been around since 2015 and has a crew of two and a transport capacity of 19 troops to complement its armament of machine guns and automatic grenade launchers. The boats are intended for operations in and around coastlines with a range of 400 nautical miles. The attack also represents a re appearance of Ukraine's Bayraktar TB2 armed drones, which have played a major role in recent conflicts in Libya, Nagorno-Karabakh, and Syria. Ukrainian military officials indicated before the war that they had approximately 20 of the small Turkish-made drones, though they say they've received more since the war's outset. While the weapons have reportedly played a role in some of the war's high-profile events,
events. A large part of their benefit comes from what drone expert Samuel Bendit described to Military Times as the quote-unquote mythology of the Barakhtar. According to open-source analysts Joost Olimans and Steinmitzer, newer Barakhtar models have appeared on the battlefield as well. Since the war began, Mitzer has counted at least 62 Russian assets destroyed by the drones, including logistics trains carrying fuel and the two patrol boats destroyed Monday. MilitaryTimes.com Now, I know what some of you must be thinking out there. Geez, Ruckus, did you really just drop a big old pile of hot steaming war propaganda on our laps? And not only was it very obviously pro-mainstream narrative, it was clearly playing cheerleader for big tech and championing the use of these technological death machines, which I find to be just a little bit more than disturbing, as I'm sure you do as well. So why subject you all to this garbage? Well, first of all, to bring up the point that the propaganda is now portraying technology as a quote-unquote hero in this quote-unquote war. And I think we might be hearing more about that kind of thing in the near future. And if the Air Force has its way, the very, very near future, indeed. Meet the Air Force chief ready to gamble on fast-tracking new drones. As reported by John Harper for FedScoop, the head of the Air Force intends to fast-track the development of new drones, even if it means taking on additional risk. The service wants new robotic wingmen and other unmanned systems to help maintain air superiority against advanced adversaries. During an event hosted by the Brookings Institution Monday, Air Force Secretary Frank Kendall said, quote, The guidance I've given to the acquisition people in the Air Force is to set up programs so that they get meaningful operational capability in the hands of operators as quickly as possible. I'm not terribly interested in demonstrations or experiments unless they're on that path. We talked about an uncrewed combat that aircraft for the tactical air world. I want to go directly to engineering and manufacturing development on that. I feel that the technology is mature enough that we can gamble on that, take some risks there, and move out quickly. We're not going to wait for a round of risk reduction experiments. We will conduct them in parallel with the work we need to do to get a platform moving forward." End quote. The Air Force is pursuing a Next Generation Air Dominance NGAD program that will include quote-unquote uncrewed combat aircraft that will be networked with a new manned fighter jet and other weapon systems for tactical air operations. For longer-range missions, the service is working on a new B-21 bomber that will be the centerpiece of the Air Force global strike capabilities. However, quote, there's room for uncrewed combat aircraft as well as a mix of weapons and off-board supporting systems that help that formation operate together, Kendall said. As it pursues new drones, the Air Force wants mission systems and software that can be easily upgraded over time. He said, quote, We want to get in the game with something that makes a difference operationally and then build on that going forward, end quote. While larger-scale procurement of unmanned combat aircraft is still a few years out, Kendall said he's excited about advancements in technology related to, quote-unquote, autonomous behaviors and artificial intelligence-enabled, quote-unquote, decision support, citing the Air Force Research Lab's Skyborg program, the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency's Air Combat Evolution ACE program, and Australia's Loyal Wingman program as examples. Quote, the gamble that I'm making in the TAC air case for sure is that we're going to go ahead with uncrewed combat aircraft
aircraft, he said. We're going to integrate those technologies into an operational capability and field it, and it'll be the first time we've done that. The drones could carry a variety of payloads such as sensors, communication systems, weapons, and self-defense capabilities, he said. Quote, we're going to open up a whole range of tactical behaviors, and I think the technologies are there to support this now, and I don't think we need to wait for more development on that, end quote. But there are other considerations besides technology readiness. The plan to deploy robotic wingmen and other drones raises, quote, some really interesting questions about human control and the degree of autonomy you're really willing to tolerate operationally, Kendall said. We need to work those problems as we mature the capability, end quote. Kendall noted that he has a background as a human rights lawyer. Quote, I am absolutely committed to the law of war and the assurance that we follow those rules, he said. We're gonna have to figure out how to embed that capability and hold people accountable for what they do still, and put meaningful controls in so that we can control how those systems are used. So there's work to be done there, but I think we're going to move in that direction. End quote. FedScoop.com That's right, you heard correct, dear listener. The head of the United States Air Force is willing to completely throw caution to the wind and quote-unquote fast-track the development of new quote-unquote uncrewed combat aircraft and not simply ones being controlled via joystick like traditional drones, but ones that have been advanced using, quote, technology related to autonomous behaviors and artificial intelligence-enabled decision support, end quote. What could possibly go wrong in this scenario? And hey, that's a pretty neat trick with the whole fast-tracking thing. I wonder where they picked that one up from. Oh, that's right, the whole jibby-jabby thing. And speaking of that, What's talk about fast-tracking potentially hazardous technologies without the following bit of news, which only demonstrates that the nerds in the lab coats are not about to let the flyboys show them up in the fast-tracking department. I mean, they practically invented the game, and it looks like they're about to up the ante, as reported by the Dallas Morning News. It's been a promising month for vaccinity, the Dallas biotech company testing a new wave of vaccines to treat chronic diseases. The company announced Monday its vaccine candidate to treat Alzheimer's disease, called UB-311, received fast-track designation from the Food and Drug Administration that will expedite the review process through more frequent discussions between vaccinity and the federal regulatory agency. Just a few days prior, the firm completed enrollment for the latest clinical trial of its vaccine to slow the progress of Parkinson's disease. The phase 1 part B trial for the vaccine, known as UB-312, will dose its first Parkinson's patients in the Netherlands following a successful part A trial in healthy participants. This streak of success for vaccinity, which also began a phase 3 trial for a COVID-19 booster candidate in April, gives some credence to the company's immunotherapeutic vaccine platform that takes aim at diseases that have long evaded treatment. It's a quick level of progress that Vaccinity CEO Mimi Hu is taking one day at a time. Quote, if you're in the business of transformation and disruption, it's half exhilarating and half nerve-wracking, but that's all part of the journey, she said. It's not easy doing something truly disruptive, so I'm just excited that right now we're moving one step forward, end quote. Following the mission of quote-unquote democratizing health by providing cheaper and more convenient therapies for chronic illnesses, Vaccinity 
community formed in 2021 with the combination of COVAX of Dublin and United Neuroscience of Dallas. The company is attempting to use synthetic peptides, molecules that can mimic proteins, to create vaccine therapies for a broad range of conditions, including Alzheimer's, Parkinson's, and migraines. Its UB-311 candidate for Alzheimer's already moved through Phase 1, and the first part of Phase 2 trials, showing the vaccine to be well tolerated in participating patients, which helped in securing the vaccine's fast-track designation. The fast-track program exists to fill quote-unquote unmet medical needs for serious conditions, like with the quick development of the COVID-19 vaccines. Now that UB-311 has the fast-track designation, Vaccinity is eligible for more frequent communication with the FDA about data collection and proposed clinical trials. Such a label must be requested by the drug company and then reviewed by the FDA, according to the agency's website. The designation only refers to an increased speed in the approval process, not an increased likelihood of success, said Dr. Hannah L. Sali, professor of molecular virology and microbiology at Baylor College of Medicine. In the case of the COVID-19 vaccines, quote, the regulators and the sponsors were exchanging data and reviews in a timely fashion, but they did not know in advance whether the vaccines were going to be safe and effective, she said. The same applies for any product. Until the data are presented and reviewed, it's still unknown, end quote. UB-311 targets toxic forms of the amyloid beta peptide that accumulate as plaques in the brains of people with Alzheimer's and is thought to contribute to the disease's progression. The vaccine is one of several treatments aimed at amyloid beta, currently competing for federal approval. Only one disease-modifying medication, called aducanumab, has been FDA-approved to treat the disease, although it's still being studied to determine its effectiveness over time. It also targets amyloid beta. Aaron Abner, an associate professor in the Department of Epidemiology at the University of Kentucky and an investigator at the university's Alzheimer's Disease Research Center, said, quote, This should be great news, but there is not good evidence that removing amyloid plaques improves the clinical symptoms of the disease, end quote. Additionally, about 4 in 10 patients who receive the treatment develop brain inflammation called amyloid-related imaging abnormalities, which involves brain bleeding and swelling, according to the University of California San Francisco Memory and Aging Center. Vaccinity said patients who received UB-311 showed no evidence of such brain inflammation. The company is also squaring up against Parkinson's, another neurodegenerative disease that progressively impacts body movement. Vaccinity's UB-312 targets malformed versions of a protein in the brain called alpha-synuclein to slow Parkinson's and other conditions like dementia with Lewy bodies and multiple system atrophy. A phase 1 part A study of the vaccine already yielded results published in the journal Movement Disorders that suggest the treatment was well tolerated by the healthy participants that volunteered for the trial. The Phase 1 Part B trial will give the vaccine to 20 Parkinson's patients for the first time, with early results anticipated by the end of the year. As part of the Part B trial, Vaccinity will also partner with the Mayo Clinic and the University of Texas to study biomarkers that could help further Parkinson's treatment through a grant from the Michael J. Fox Foundation for Parkinson's Research. Vaccinity declined to
to disclose the size of the grant or the cost of the Phase 1 Part B study. DallasNews.com Whoa, maybe we should just pump the brakes a little bit here and slow the roll with all of this stuff. Everybody and everything seems to be in some mad rush. Some unknown secret race that we're all in. I don't really get it. And as far as the fast tracking things are concerned, maybe there's not necessarily such a huge nefarious conspiracy going on. I leave that up to you to decide, dear listener. But maybe, just maybe, it's simply another symptom of the disease gripping humanity known as instant gratification. And when it comes to healthcare, perhaps rushing things is not the way to go. And perhaps even for reasons not even related to fast-tracking medical technologies. At least not ones that are served at the point of a needle, anyways. Howard Tolman, writing for Inc., says, Not so fast. Not everything has to be done quickly or remotely, especially healthcare. He thinks we've become too accustomed to getting everything we want at the moment we want it. But maybe we should focus more on understanding the customer rather than executing the transaction. He writes, Jeff Bezos is very smart and very right when he says that people don't really want to renegotiate the price of the ordinary goods and services they buy repeatedly. We're lazy and we know it. And most of us decided long ago that it's simply not worth the time or effort to shop around to save a few bucks, especially when the world is largely convinced that Amazon's real-time automated repricing technology ensures that you're getting the lowest available price anyway. The key word here, of course, being available. The lowest price perception is actually only true if you willingly confuse available with possible. The lowest possible price, typically dictated by aggressive competition in the marketplace, isn't often available to Amazon shoppers because anti-competitive behavior on Amazon's part prevents third-party sellers using Amazon's warehousing and shipping services from offering better and cheaper pricing on their own products elsewhere, even on their own websites. So Amazon shoppers settle for the best prices that Amazon chooses to offer. But in the real world, I'm not sure that these nickel and dime distinctions matter much when we're talking about toilet paper. Your concerns change and become more substantive as the value proposition changes. You care a lot more when it comes to buying the dishwasher than you do the dishwashing pods. But that too is changing. These days, you can pretty much buy a television set sight unseen. I've said for years now that for the vast majority of digital shoppers, except for those poor souls who have abandoned coupon clipping for the pathetic joy of spending hours bargain hunting online, our time is increasingly more important than modest amounts of our money. Speed, Ready access and convenience are what it's all about in large parts of our hectic day-to-day lives. One-click purchasing was a brilliant innovation and the most overt manifestation of the Bezos master plan to remove any deliberation, calculation, or hesitation from consumers' buying decisions. The idea was to do everything you could to eliminate thought from consumption. Fast and frictionless. Click it and forget it, and it'll be delivered in a flash. 
That attitude is probably safe and somewhat sane when you're talking about groceries and gifts. But what if you're talking about cancer and chronic diseases? The problem with our perpetually progressive service expectations is that we believe that the best practices and experiences are readily and easily transferable among all the various parts of our lives. If Amazon is a one-click experience, why shouldn't our banking, borrowing, one-click brokerage and betting interactions be just just as smooth and rapid. Why not try buying or selling a house with a couple of clicks through Zillow, which can't even remotely keep its own house in financial order? There's obviously a reasonable and rational line that needs to be drawn, but it's not clear that anyone's really paying attention. Is it a matter of how many dollars are involved? Is it an age thing at both ends? Too young to be involved in gambling on your phone when you're barely old enough to drive? Or too old to be doing instant reverse home mortgages because some huckster on TV TV says it makes sense? How about when your life's on the line? Would you really rather get a swift answer or a smart one when your health and well-being are the matters at hand? Unfortunately, it's pretty clear that we didn't learn any serious lessons from the Theranos debacle about imaginary but rapid test results that were too good to be true. We're still all in a hurry. We want to get quick, cheap, and simple answers on the spot, and we're too often willing to trade easy for exact. I'm sure this attitude is a problem in many industries, but in healthcare, it's more like a sin. Two out of three consumers surveyed recently said that they would prefer to use a digital medical app rather than wasting time and money traveling to the doctor's office and then burning more time waiting to be seen. Even before the COVID-19 pandemic, office visits to primary care doctors fell almost 20% over a two-year period, and of course, many older doctors are retired and not being replaced. Remote digital care is certainly better than no access to care, but we've got to help patients, especially those with potentially serious medical issues, make the right choices. COVID-19 and the explosion of telemedicine really put one of the final nails in the coffin of the traditional patient-doctor relationship where you actually knew your doctor, visited in person, and he or she knew you and your medical history. Today, your car mechanic knows more about your car than the dialed-up doctor you've never met on some telemedicine service knows about your body and your medical background. Similarly, while it's convenient to get a flu shot at CVS or Walgreens, or have a bruise examined at an urgent care storefront clinic, what about reactions and complications? Do they call 911 or an ambulance for you? The know-your-customer KYC rules in the financial industry, as trivial, made-up, and superficial as they are, at least make a gesture toward the time-honored idea of understanding the people you're dealing with to do a fair, reasonable, and intelligent job of providing advice, guidance, and services to them. To date, I haven't seen much of a similar effort in healthcare, and as a result, we've got millions of people settling for remote and or digital medical care because it's cheap and easy. Their employers love it too, even if it's not a smart bargain for them and their families. Now, I realize that there are plenty of good reasons to avoid a trip to the doctor's office, taking time off for work, taking your kids out of 
school, waiting to see the doctor once you get there, too often filling out the same paperwork for the umpteenth time, sitting surrounded by a bunch of sick people, discovering that your alleged insurance doesn't cover whatever, and after all that, getting the take two aspirins and call me in the morning diagnosis. But technology alone isn't going to be a sufficient solution, even if about 75% of the in-office consultations would be treatable online. You don't want you or your family members to be the exception to the rule. Before we go overboard and churn all the family docs into screen images whose skills, experience, and credentials were all asked to take for granted, I think we need to take a breath and ask for one simple thing for and from all those people with serious concerns and medical issues. We need to slow down, calm down, and tell ourselves and everyone around us that not everything important and valuable can be done in an instant. Some things will always take a certain irreducible amount of time, and we need to make enough time to address and deal with them properly. Right now we've got too many patients with too little patience. Inc.com. Very nice. I don't think I could disagree with anything Mr. Tolman had to say there. And in fact, I really like the advice he added at the end there. Quote, some things will always take a certain irreducible amount of time, and we need to make enough time to address and deal with them properly. End quote. Just like this series here. I hope you enjoyed going fast with me, folks. Tune in next time as we go faster. For the ACR, I'm Adam Clark, and this has been the Daily Ruckus for Tuesday, May 10th, 2022. For more information, please visit alternatecurrentradio.com.